Are we started? Hey, everybody. It's then again. And again with Ken. And Glenn. And Glenn. You know, we put you all through the ringer of listening to us hold forth on the Anglo-Saxons. Uh, and so now we'll have to, you know, we have to do turn about and fair play for the people what conquered them. If we're going to talk about the bad guys, we have to now wait, talk about wait, the wait, good wait. guys. Wait, wait, wait. about the good guys. They were the Anglo-Saxons. Uh. <laughs> you can already see a division brewing here. Here's the thing. Uh, the Normans, that's who we're going to talk about, folks, the Normans. They're, uh, Glenn, I don't think I'm exaggerating if I say they're your boys. You love you, love you some Normans. I do like the Normans because they go everywhere and they do everything. <laughs> they kind of do. And I, of course, hate them but grudgingly admire them because... They go everywhere and do everything. <laughs> and, and also, I, I love the Anglo-Saxons. Oh, I know you do. I, I know I do, you do. But exactly. Just, but I just can't. I can't overcome my 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 sadness and, and melancholy over you know October fourteenth, ten sixty six. I just can't it's, do it. It's, it's a rough day. It's and y'all better know what that reference is, is at this point. But so anyway, so this uh, podcast, you're probably going to be hearing a lot more of Glenn talking than me because first off. He knows a lot more about the Normans than I do. Uh, I'll just be throwing in the, the various counterpoints and also giving them some due. But some things that I do know that I'll, I'll go ahead and start with is, of course, the name, Normans. It's, it's ultimately comes from various Old French and uh, Latin phrases for North men because the Normans were Scandinavian in origin. And, of course, the guy that I guess we could say founds what is to become Normandy? As, more, as, yeah, yeah, more or less. Rollo, it's not really known if he was a Dane or if he was a, a Swede or if he was Norse or even there's theories he was, you know, from the Orkney Islands. But he was from the north. But he was from the north, exactly. And it, you know, and at this point, you know, we're talking about, you know, as you mentioned before, Glenn, quite appropriately, there's that North Sea culture and and throw in the Baltic as well, but that North Sea and Baltic culture where these people, whether it's Swede or Dane or or Norse. They are cultural and linguistic cousins, and so it's a North man, you know, in the in the guise of Rollo that strikes a treaty with Charles the Simple. And by the way, he's not called Charles the Simple because he's stupid. <laughs> Charles the Simple, uh, uh, the Frankish king, uh, French king, we'll go ahead and go ahead and give him the nationality. Sure. He's called Charles the Simple because he's straightforward in his dealings. And as a matter of fact, a lot of people, and Glenn, you may have heard this at reenactment events or things like that, where people say, well, you know, it's because Rollo and his Vikings had, had kicked the French ass, and so now they were going to demand territory. And that's not true. Actually, Charles had just defeated Rollo at the Siege of Chartres, and showing his they, straightforwardness was like, hmm, this would be a good time to get a treaty with these guys to show my, you know, how magnanimous I am. But also... I don't want to keep fighting them. Yeah, we can do a deal, and I can fix this situation because Rollo was, and we use the verb here, a Viking. Right. right? He right. had he had just like we when we talked about the Anglo Saxons with the Danes that came across and established the Dane law. Right. Simply speaking, uh, that's what happens with Normandy. Yeah. Is is the 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 Viking raiders who have been going up and down the coast. <clears throat> And the King of France says, you know, maybe if I have some of them settle at least along this part of the coast, right. that part of the coast will at least not be raided anymore because it's it's one big happy right. family and, and they're and not going to raid each other. And Rollo or Rollo or Hrolfor or well, Rollo's the candy. Yeah, Rollo's exactly. the dude. Rollo's. Yeah, I, I can never keep it straight. But anyway, he also is not stupid. He's also like, yeah, okay, a deal. Because once again, remember, yes, he's a Viking, a raider, but they're also traders and farmers. That's the thing we keep trying to let you know. When someone like, you know, Charles the Simple says, well, here's this large, fertile province that borders the sea that you love so much. It's yours. All you got to do is fight the other Vikings if they invade. Well, hey, that, that yeah. checks all my boxes. I love to fight. Right. <laughs> I love Ding. me some land. I love me some trade. This is good. You, have, you also have to adopt the Christian faith. Uh, 
but uh, okay. Yeah, sure. What do I care? <laughs> and, and actually, that's that's kind of cool because, of course, you know, this province, uh, this duchy, uh, this dukedom of Normandy that's founded as a result of this by these, you know, pagan warriors becomes one of the most these... pious and devout peoples in Western Europe. Yes, over the next, over this podcast and the next two, you'll <laughs> discover just how closely the Normans are tied to the, well, we call it the Catholic Church now, but back then, of course, it's it was the church. The church, exactly. It's just the church. The church. So, you know, that settlement of 9-11 is when the treaty is. So, uh, you know, early 10th century. And they consolidate. They expand. Yeah, and over the next 50, 60 years, you have to, that first part of land that they got was compared to what Normandy is today and became right. not that big. It's a it's a few miles of seacoast, and it goes up the, the Seine River, yep. and that's, that's it. And Rollo kind of... Is happy with that, but then he has a couple of kids and, yeah. uh, you know, Longsword. And then Longsword has a, a son named Richard. And Richard becomes the. This is where it goes from being, they're called counts, right? Because it's a county. Right. It's the county of Normandy. Right. But Richard the Fearless starts setting out and, and doing some consolidation, and he happens to get into some wars, and he happens to conveniently capture the French king at that time. Right. And again, they do a deal, and and he expands Normandy to pretty close to what it is now. So over the course of about you know, 50, 60 years, he almost triples the size right. of what that original grant right. was. And some of the people that he fights, some of the quarrelsome neighbors on his borders, are also descendants of Viking raiders, you know, Danes and people from the Dane law. So it's, it's Glenn, that's the thing that just always fascinates me or intrigues me about this whole period, both in England and in France with the Normans and Normandy, is really it's all the same group of, they're all ethnic cousins. They're all, they're all Viking cousins. And they're all yeah. fighting over this rich land further south from the cold north. And, and, you know, that's an important point. You know, the fundamental question of who are the Normans, it's not a race. It's not a genetic thing. Right. The, the Normans come to be... It's not really to, a political it's, thing it's either. Not, it's not. Well, it becomes that. It becomes that. But then it starts to expand even beyond that. And I think if there's one word that describes how the Normans were able to accomplish what they did in their 100, 150 years of absolute glory, it's adaptivity. Mm. They adapt to every situation. Rollo the Viking, seafarers comes in, they they create this uh this small county, they expand it. They totally adopt. They become French. Yeah. They become continental French and they adopt the church, they adopt feudalism, they adopt the way the continent has been doing uh warfare, which puts a lot of emphasis on armored mounted mm-hmm. warriors. Uh we won't call them knights yet, but yeah, we're yeah. Get, we're getting there, but they but they go more or less away from that seafaring thing to the mounted yeah. warrior thing that we tend to think up as, as the proto-knights. You know, when you said adaptability would be the word you were going to use, I thought, seriously, that you were going to say dynamism. Because, no, because it's, it's, I, and I think it's two it's sides two, of the same coin. Two sides of the same coin, because, it, it, you know, all peoples like to say we have, a, we have a dynamic national spirit. Okay, fine. But, uh, but the Normans, I mean, they really did. They're, they're constantly on the move constantly looking for new territories to, well, you know, let's face it, conquer, to, to, right. to somehow get. And, you know, in, in a way that hasn't been seen since the migration period, that active expanding into other people's land that you know is other people's land, but you kind of don't care. I mean, you may be doing it with the trappings of the political system around you. Or, or not. Or not, <laughs> but, but yeah, but exactly. <laughs> so so that there's a, there's a dynamism there that makes them explode from, you know, perhaps relatively modest beginnings 
on the North Sea to all the way to Antioch within, and, within 100, 150 and it, years. And, and it works because Antioch's it's— in the Holy Land. We'll get there. Um, <laughs> oh, they'll get there. Oh, they'll get there. <laughs> but they, you know, they, they're coupling—that's— Another interesting thing about the Normans is they couple, and, and like you say, they're going and they're conquering. This is violent expansion. This mm. is not alliance by marriage or things like that. Right. There's a few guys going and basically being raiders, just like the Vikings, only they're doing it on land mm-hmm. with very powerful forces, and they're, and they're raiding, and they're going in, and they're, they're taking this land with violence. But once they get a hold of the land, once they're able to take control of the political system and in effect, the tax system, the taxation systems, <laughs> then they begin to colonize. And a large part of that is how they've tied it to the church. Mm-hmm. The, the Christianity allows them to, when they go in, they know they've done bad things to get whatever land they've taken. <laughs> and right. so the, the key is to be forgiven for the violence because of the greater good that comes of it. So they become great supporters of the church. They're building monastic houses everywhere they go. Mm-hmm. Not only just in Normandy, but as, as they continue to expand out, they're doing it in England, they're doing it in Sicily, southern Italy, North Africa, and all the way in the Holy Land. They conquer violently, but mm-hmm. then they set up a system that works really well. And, you know, I'm going to go ahead and let's, let's say probably their most stunningly successful expansion out of Normandy was, of course, getting England. And in it, and that dovetails exactly with what you're saying. So we, you know, I'm not gonna cry a lot this day about you know October 14th. But in the aftermath, what do they do? As you said, adaptability. They look at an English taxation system that absolutely works, that works incredibly well, and they keep the administrative and taxation system. It works. This this will fund us quite well. Thank you. Now they then do a fundamental revolution in the way fortifications are built and the way churches are built, but but the taxations thing they keep. And then, you know, their next expansion out of England is into Ireland. You can thank the Normans for the present troubles. You can thank the Normans ultimately for the well, fact that there's a Northern Ireland and an Ireland. I really want to argue with that, but I can't. <laughs> and once again, in this classic, you know, we talked on this on this podcast before about how, you know, in sub-Roman Britain, the, the, the native Britons invite, hey, let's get these Saxons to come over and help us fight these Scots and Welsh. Oh, and then they stayed because it was so nice they thought they'd take it. Well, the deposed king of Leinster, uh, Dermot, uh, uh, and I forget his last name, Dermot, calls over, hey, those those Normans over there in England seem to be really good warriors. I'll hire a few to help me get my crown back. Oh, now they want the crown. Oh, oh heck. And oh. and so begins in, in this, like 1169 or so, the next thousand years of, or 900 years of, quote, English or British in Ireland. Right. And it's, it's, Starts that early, and this and this is very interesting too. The way they do it, because official expansion by the ruler mm. of Normandy, the Duke of Normandy, really is only the expansion that consolidates what becomes the Duchy of Normandy and Anglo-Saxon England. Yep, that's the only official Norman <laughs> conquest. All of these other things that we'll be talking about, like going into Ireland, Southern Italy, mm. Sicily, the Holy Land. Those are enterprises taken on by the lesser nobility mm-hmm. that's basically just adventuring. You've, you've got some guys. I've got some guys. All we need is 100. Let's go to Ireland. And what's so cool about that is what does that harken back to? The old Norse tradition of let's get a few guys together and go raiding. Except now 
we are so much more militarily advanced when we go raiding and so much richer to begin with. We're not going raiding. We're going conquering just for a lot. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because Vikings went to get the wealth and then they got out. The right. Normans went in Realized. and they, they destroyed, crushed, and usurped the local authorities. <laughs> And it worked. <laughs> it worked because exactly. you can. You don't need to get the riches and then get out. If you get, if you usurp the authority, you're going to get a lot more riches than just a simple raid. Exactly. You just, you just put yourselves in. And the ones who are hired to go over to, to Ireland, they help the king, and then they basically tell the king that we're in charge now, <laughs> exactly. and we're the best warriors ever. So you can't stop us. Right. Then. The king of England says, oh, well, you can't do that. You have to pay allegiance to me. And they're like, no, we're in England now. So you have Normans fighting the Normans in England who are trying to kick the Normans out of Ireland who went to Ireland because they were Normans. <laughs> With it eventually all reverting back to the English king in the high Middle Ages. It all it all always does. But but now with the, uh, the Sicilian campaign, uh, which is, I think, that's a precursor. Sicily and Cyprus are both precursors to... Uh, the first crusade they well they first they head to southern italy southern italy right they got it they because they can't cross the the straits yet and and it's the the houtville family mm. and they're not they're they literally are lower aristocracy right. we don't even know that much about de houtville senior we just know that he gave the name yeah. to his family right. and literally had about 25 kids <laughs> i'm not exaggerating he had about 25 kids of course ha- at least half of them were male and they want to go do things because there's not much the 11th son of a lesser (laughs) aristocrat can do. Unless he goes adventuring. And and they don't ask permission from the Duke of Normandy. William, actually, it's William at this point. They just head south with literally about 25 to 30 guys. Because they hear that there's work in southern Italy. And then there's, there's work, all right. There's work. And, it, and it's sort of the same thing that happens in Ireland. They go down there, and they get hired as mercenaries, and it turns out they're really good. Which means they attract more followers, which means they have more might, which means they attract more followers. And then before you know it, they're ruling counties and yeah, ruling and, islands and ruling and, principalities. And, and see, that's the beauty. It starts with one city. They go down there, and they the the person who's hired them, and I can't remember who it was. It's just some Italian guy. doesn't matter. He says, go take this city. And they take the city, and then they're like, okay, we're keeping this city. It's a pretty good city. It's got walls. It's got, it's got a tax base. We'll just keep it, and this will be our new base of operations. What are we going to call ourselves? We're going to call ourselves in charge of the city. And so they start that, that slowly, and right. they start to expand out, and they start taking city after city. And, and then it's they, Sicily after southern Italy, and then Cyprus, and then... And the then, Crusades. And then the Crusades. And then, you know, that's another thing. We get to the late 11th century, and when the call goes out, when Crusade is preached, the Normans, both unofficially armed bands, but the Normans, the by God duchy, responds with great fervor. It's a, Yeah, the Crusades are, you know, they're an attempt to retake the, well... <laughs> it depends on, there. on who's asking, retake. who's asking things. <laughs> they the, never had it. The, the, the Eastern Emperor... Wants uh, wants just some help to conquer the people who are encroaching on his lands, and right. he sends a letter yeah, to. He the doesn't Pope. even ask. He says nothing about Jerusalem. Yeah, nothing. Somehow something gets he, lost in the translation. Oddly enough, he says, "I want some some mercenaries." <laughs> yes. And the Pope gets this letter. Is like, "Oh, this is a good idea. I have a better idea." And he says, "We all have to go free the Holy Land <laughs> from the grip of bad people." Which the you know the Eastern Emperor in Constantinople goes. That's not really what I was asking you Shush, to do. Shush, Emperor. Okay. They use Volt. <laughs> they, 
And so, and so we've got three minutes left, according to Lebo. Three minutes. All right. Well, that's okay. This is this, this is a good. A good, this is a good let's, yeah. let's back up off the Crusades a minute and just talk right. about. So, but no, that's a good place because we've now shown how they've gone from those humble Norse origins to now on the verge of going to Asia, right? Another and, continent. And, and let's point out, you know, that that basically William the Conqueror. Mm-hmm. Who only gets that title afterwards? He's right. actually William the Bastard. Comes to power in <laughs> for 11, so many reasons <laughs> in 1154, right? So from say 1150, yeah, when the duchy is actually about to fall apart from internal strife, right, and it's about to crumble from 1050 to 1100. Mm-hmm. 1100, when the First Crusade has succeeded, that's only 50, 50 years. years yeah. In 50 years, the Normans have gone from internal internal strife to England, some of Ireland, southern Italy. Sicily, Cyprus, mm-hmm. and they're establishing principalities in the Holy Land. And they are actually poised at that point to take on <laughs> the actual Byzantine Eastern Roman Empire. By God, Constantinople. In 50 years, in a lifetime, yeah. in a yeah. single lifetime. Yeah. And so, tune in next time, click in next time, whatever it is you do when you click and tune, to see this, what happens. That, you, can, you, you can click, push, or mash <laughs> that <laughs> button. <laughs> Bye. Bye. <laughs> Then Again with Ken and Glenn is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. If you've enjoyed listening to Then Again with Ken and Glenn, please make sure that you subscribe and help us out by writing a review. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.